0: Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com.
1: More than a million military service members participate in the so-called blended retirement system. It lets them make TSP-style savings contributions that are portable. The funds go with them when they leave the military. But there's more to financial readiness, something to think about in a high-spending season like we're in now. For some ideas, we turn to the president of the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association, Mike Meese. Mike, good to have you back.
0: Great to be here, Tom.
1: And let's talk about the blended retirement system. This has been around a few years, but it seems to be picking up lately.
0: It has. It started in 2018 when Congress made an adjustment the first real big adjustment to the military retirement system in uh, several decades, where new members who come into the military uh, have a slightly smaller uh, retirement if they stay for a full 20 years, but the federal government contributes to their uh, 401k-like thrift savings plan, which is the blended retirement uh, part of that. Uh, so that they end up with something, even if they only serve like a three-year, four-year enlistment, they can take some retirement savings with
1: them. It sounds like the best benefit is just developing the habit of putting away that money, because let's face it, when you're a new member of the military, you ain't earning all that much. Th-
0: that's right. And uh, what, uh, the way it's designed is the government will automatically contribute 1%, and then it will match up to 5%. And so we just crossed over, as you mentioned, uh, more people are actually participating in the blended retirement system, 1.3 million service members, than were participating in the uh, old system uh, before. And that has caused people to take a look at this and realize how valuable it truly is.
1: That leads to the idea of keeping and hanging on to the money you should in a season where even military service members, if they walk into a PX, are bombarded to say nothing of what comes through on social media with offers to how to part with your money in this holiday season (laughs) because everything's on sale.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important for people to kind of have a perspective over the last several years coming out of covid two and three years ago we weren't traveling people had more money you got money from the federal government so christmas gifts got a little bit bigger because you felt kind of bad not being able to visit your loved ones uh during the holidays and now people can travel but those travel costs are up people can uh, uh spend money uh and they're putting an increasing amount on their credit cards so it's important for people to have a budget maintain a good perspective, perhaps do a little bit of the gift sharing where you're drawing gifts and not necessarily getting one for every other relative that you have, like people had the capacity to do more during COVID.
1: Yes, I understand uh, by reading the latest stats that the total credit card debt of people in the United States is more than a trillion dollars right now, and service members are part of that, I'm sure.
0: It's increasing, and actually what was good was it was being paid down during COVID as people had more dollars and were not spending more, and now it's going right back up again. As a service member, especially at the end of the year, since you're on a fixed income, it's important to as much as you possibly can keep that spending within reason. People will still appreciate you being home for the holidays and doing all that kind of stuff, but you don't need to spend quite as much on lavish gifts.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, what are some of the other good pieces of advice, particularly for military members at this time of year? Because uh, they sometimes are more vulnerable to financial, I don't know, not so much scams, but offers that aren't all that useful to them.
0: That's right. Well, it's first uh, being disciplined and making sure that you and uh, your spouse, others in your family are keeping within your spending limits. And then there's a lot of things to do at the end of the year to, as we mentioned with the blended retirement system, if you're not contributing the full 5% to that match, now's the time to take a look at that and be sure that you can do that. It's also important for people that have a little bit more income to look at their charitable contributions and be sure that for the charities that they wanna contribute to, that they contribute uh, what they want to do. But again, you get lots and lots and lots of solicitations for that. You don't want to overspend.
1: We're speaking with Mike Meese. He's president of the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. And getting back to the topic of the uh, TSP-like or the 401k-like blended retirement contributions, is there a way that as people progress year to year, like there are on some plans, a way to automatically up your contribution percentage year after year so that if you start yeah. at 1% or 2%, by the time you're a little bit better paid, a little bit more established, it might be up to 4 or 5% and you get that sense of acceleration there?
0: Exactly. The automatic contribution used to be just at 3%. Now the automatic contribution is at 5%, which is... The maximum amount to get the match. What's important, though, is you can actually contribute more than that, and it will continue to grow. Deferring that savings uh, will take advantage of the fact that you have compound interest. The Thrift Savings Plan has done particularly well in the various funds. As you may have seen this year, the C fund is up, I just noticed, 13% uh, over the last year, which is a great Uh, opportunity for people to save even beyond the amount that they are matched by the federal government. So if you can save 5%, you absolutely should do that to get the matching. But if you can up that by 6% or 7%, that can help you significantly in the long
1: run. Also, with interest rates high, I mean, it's expensive to buy a home now and so forth relative to a few years ago. But on the other hand, there are instruments you can get from financial institutions now that pay that 5%. And that's something, especially for a young military member, doesn't remember the days of 13% CDs and so forth that we had 40 years ago or so. But that's a newly emergent way to boost your savings, isn't it?
0: Yeah, a great example is recognize that you're going to have to pay more for your automobile. Automobiles are lasting longer. So when that car payment ends, continue to pay yourself that car payment so that the next time you have to buy a car, you can put a lot more down. A lot more of that can be in cash. So instead of paying the bank a lot of interest, you're actually paying yourself a lot of interest through either a CD or a high-interest money market that you get from many good, reputable banks.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, those didn't exist a few years ago. The last time they were even around was, you know, when you and I were young, and you had <laughs> CDs, right. and wow, but we've had inflation, and now we have inflation in interest rates, so that's, that's yeah, something and, that...
0: and people should take advantage of that and be sure that they are uh, ins- uh, don't... Just have if you're only making 0% or 1% on your checking account, you probably haven't looked at the opportunities that you have to be able to put that into earning just a little bit more interest can go a long ways.
1: And again on the topic of service members and what they might find appealing let's say at this time of year especially in the case of vehicles and they often tend to like you know nice vehicles I uh, had to resist the urge to put down on a trade-in motorcycle the other day because I fell in love with one in the dealer and uh, you know the cool hand of logic finally grabbed my arm away but Sometimes if you're younger, you may not be able to resist that F-150 with the large wheels, and those are expensive. And auto companies are offering, and and car loaners are offering seven- and even eight-year loans. That sounds like a terrible trap.
0: No, and recognize how much you're going to be committed to that. Plus, look at the total cost of driving that automobile when you look at the insurance uh, for that expensive an automobile, maybe adding several hundred dollars to your monthly payments in addition to the cost uh, of the uh, automobile payment over time.
1: And on the issue of that's close to home to AFMA, anything new in life insurance that people should know about these days?
0: Well, the good news is the federal government has expanded the coverage from 400,000 to 500,000. But if you are married. And especially if you have any children, that amount is still not enough. And so that's why we find a lot of people turning to AFMA and other life insurance providers to be able to get some supplemental insurance. We can do that actually at less cost than SGLI. And for veterans who leave since SGLI uh, ends, Uh, when you leave the service, it's really important to turn to AFMA or somebody else to be able to get life insurance to protect your family even after you leave the service.
1: SGLI is?
0: That's the service members group life insurance that is provided for. You pay for it uh, but the government provides that to you without any medical underwriting we do the same kind of thing actually at a little bit less cost and that's why we encourage folks to look at that at afma.com a uh, uh, a f m a com
1: all right in the meantime service members you know watch your wallets and you know tread slowly right now
0: that's right have a great holiday season but uh, do that within your budget
1: Mike Meese is president of the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. Thanks so much.
0: Well, thank you, Tom. Have a great uh, holiday season and Happy New Year.
1: All right. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Save the Federal Drive on your device. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before.
3: how do we accomplish our mission through our people? And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission.
2: Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Right. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few. And you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs?
3: Yes. And I... I- I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking. That this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts.